Welcome to Garbage, baby. The show that seeks to prove that arty and trashy movies have a lot in common. You don't need to enjoy just one or the other. We will take this movie of the week and pair it with something artier or trashier and hope that you discover an unexpected new favorite or at the very least are entertained, baby. Baby. I am one of your hosts, Nick, and with me as always is the blonde wig to my overuse of the word baby. Aaron is here. Hi, Aaron. Hello. We're going with this version of the intro despite me stumbling through it because I liked your reaction so much. Based on that, you know exactly what we're talking about. It's November week two, and Ooh. we are going back to basics, to the original, some would say, to Double Indemnity from 1944. I killed Dietrichson. Me, Walter Neff, insurance agent, 35 years old, unmarried, no visible scars. Until a while ago, that is. I can't stand it anymore. What if they do hang me? They're not going to hang you. Because you're going to do it, and I'm going to help you. Now, we know the Dietrichson dame is in it, and uh, somebody else. Only I haven't got a single thing to go on, Keys. He'll show. He's got to show. The murder's never perfect. All this comes apart sooner or later. And where two people are concerned, it's usually sooner. Killed him for money. For a woman. Let him get the money, and... Let him get the woman. full of uses of the word baby unironically i remember there being a good amount of babies but i was not prepared for how like as we go down into the moral moral gray zone the more babies come out like it's directly (laughs) correlated it's a signifier of how how too deep in he is (laughs) and it just increases over time is it meant to be cool was that like a cool phrase at the time okay It's very funny. It's very funny and cool. (laughs) Possibly the only thing that takes me out of the movie experience is how much he says the word baby. I know it did the first time. It didn't for me this time. I was just like, ah, this is just, this is a guy who thinks he's cool is what I was thinking. Yes, yeah, for sure. Which, yeah. The easiest mark in the world. (laughs) We're getting, we're putting the baby horse ahead of the baby carriage. So let's uh, (laughs) wind it back up a little bit here. Talk about Double Indemnity, a little movie you may have heard of from 1944. Uh, I think it's very interesting that this movie comes out, and two years later, uh, the term noir is coined. This is well before the word noir is used in reference to a movie. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's weird to think about in context. But, uh, let's say you don't know what double indemnity is. Um, how about I give you a little synopsis, how about? I love that, baby. <laughs> Thanks, baby. <laughs> it's 1938. Walter Neff, an inex- or no, not an inexperienced, a very experienced salesman of the Pacific All Risk Insurance Company, meets the seductive wife of one of his clients, Phyllis Dietrichson, and they're quickly into a steamy love affair. Like, real, real off to the races. On site. <laughs> Pretty much immediately, Phyllis proposes to kill her husband. Walter Neff kind of guesses at it, too. Uh, in order to receive the proceeds of an accident insurance policy that uh, they will forge. Uh, through this, Walter devises a scheme to receive twice the amount of money based on a double indemnity clause, a thing I didn't know it, what it was until this movie. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I thought it was, you can't be tried twice. Like That's if you double jeopardy. Ah, damn it. Okay, all right. <laughs> and I know what that is because of 30 Rock, so... <laughs> So you can come here for all your legal needs. Yep. We are very good at it. How many hours of 30 Rock and noir movies before I become legally accepted by the bar? <laughs> uh, if I've 
learned anything from watching noir movies. However many you want. <laughs> Fuck it. The law is not real. Baby. When Mr. Dietrichson is found dead on a train track, the police accept the determination of accidental death. However, the insurance analyst and Walter's best friend, Barton Keyes, uh, they don't uh, buy the story at all and suspect that Phyllis has murdered her husband with the help of a third man of sorts. We are not doing the third man, <laughs> which was a very fun part when he was like, there's a third man involved. Like, <gasps> We can, I understand if you get confused based on that description. But yeah, so uh, just some details to blow through here before we get into the meat of this bad boy, of course, directed by Billy Wilder, which is one of his first movies as a follow up mm. to a war movie, Five Graves to Cairo. Which is a, a nice little snappy thriller guy. Nice. But if you know Five Years to Cairo and then you come to Double Indemnity, it's like, wow, he got really good. Holy shit, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Screenplay is by Billy Wilder and Raymond Chandler, who those that know Noir know he's a big writer in the the pulp version of Noirs, not so much in the movies, though he does that too. A lot of movies that you have probably seen have been based on Raymond Chandler books. Yeah, Philip Marlowe is a Raymond Chandler character, so Long Goodbye that we talked about last week is based on his work and all that. Uh, but the thing that I like about this working coupling is that they absolutely fucking hated each other, like, with a awesome. blind fury. Like, Raymond Chandler, like, <laughs> refused to work for a while, and he had to, like, have a written contract with things in it, like... Billy Wilder will take his hat off when we work, so I don't feel like he's going to leave at any second. Oh my god. Two dumb babies. <laughs> Who is the comedian that coined the cracker-eating bitch thing? Like, someone you hate me. so much <laughs> that everything they do annoys you and is a sign that they're a bad person? Like, oh, okay. look at that bitch eating crackers. Like... <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It is exactly I that. want him to take his fucking head off. Like, okay, are you all right, Raymond? I am not. He paces around when he talks. Yeah. Just like a lot of like <laughs> he tiny. He breathes. I hate it. He keeps talking to women. That was a <laughs> legitimate issue he had. Oh, for real? Yep. <laughs> right. And Billy Wilder knew it fucked him, so he talked to more women. <laughs> See? Okay. This is both sides' fault. Hooray for Hollywood. <laughs> Uh, All right. This is based on Double Indemnity, the 1936 novella. Or, uh, no, it's a 1936 serialized newspaper story that oh. became a novella in the 40s. Okay. By James M. Kane. And uh, they tried to option it in the 30s to make Double Indemnity, but literally, I think it's the same week that they tried to option it, the Hayes Code came into effect, and they're uh, like, oh, we can't do this. <laughs> we can't show any of that. <laughs> okay. Uh, in 1942, Raymond Chandler said that uh, James M. Kane was a, quote, a Marcel Proust in greasy overalls, a dirty little boy with a piece of chalk and a board fence and nobody looking. Everything he touches smells like a billy goat. What is happening? Here's the time where I should mention Raymond Chandler was a drunk. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is a word for word quote. Uh-huh, I bet it is. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, so maybe a lot of the tension is based around Raymond Chandler. One of the follow-ups to this movie is Billy Wilder's The Lost Weekend, about a writer who is a drunk and can't make his way through life. Uh -huh. It was a subtweet of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being so annoying that you're immortalized in like one of the biggest piece of shit movies ever. <laughs> nice. The, the guy in the movie is a piece of shit. The movie is good. Oh, sorry. I yes, got, I got a... Movie's about pieces of shit. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Sorry. I agree. Noirs. Nope. It's very <laughs> an important <laughs> distinction to make during this month. And in here, we've got Fred McMurray. Uh, I like that 
this is we we like when this happened. I feel like we we don't get this because we don't have the contemporary stuff to it. But Fred McMurray was a a light comedic like good guy in every sense of the word in all of his movies. So right. this was a real against cast, against a type kind of I casting. Love that. Yeah, uh, especially when it's like this like froofy comic roles stuff, mm. and and then they go into the like, and then I'm gonna murder a guy because I want to fuck his wife. People seeing Fred McMurray say baby and they're fainting. And yeah, <laughs> I have to assume. Looking at a woman's leg. Ah! Fred, no! Uh, of course, starring Barbara Stanwyck and her wig. Um, <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. That's their couple name. <laughs> yep. um, I just want to throw it. Everybody talks about how bad Barbara Stanwyck's wig is in this. And Billy Wilder picked it on purpose knowing it was bad because he was like you have to look cheap and mm. like a floozy like this is all okay. very on purpose you're you are basically a serial killer so <laughs> i want you to look psychotic uh and then they got a month into shootings like it's probably too bad of a way probably <laughs> done that bad. well too late now <laughs> i i it's such a funny like you look at it and you do it doesn't look right it just looks off yeah but this far removed from the time of the movie, it it does just kind of seem like hairstyles were weird back yeah. then. But even for that, it looks weird. It looks off. Because I mean? know I didn't know about the wig the first time I saw this. Mm. So I watched it and at the end, I'm like, oh, she was wearing a wig? And going back and watching, like, I, yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> like, probably. It's the bangs. The bangs are really, like, they look like they could. It's too high on the head. Yeah, it looks like you could grate cheese on it. Yeah. Like, that, <laughs> that hard. But then it's like, yeah, exactly. It's aerosoled to oblivion if it's a regular hairdo. So probably, yeah. Yeah, hard to tell. But uh, she is rocking that wig. Sure is. And those very funny sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, I love those sunglasses. <laughs> it's a combo. So cute. So great. <laughs> Uh, and you've also got Edward G. Robinson, who is monologuing his heart out in these. Oh, yes. I, like, Walking away with those scenes. Yeah, Fred McMurray's stuff feels dated, but in a, like an affected noir, yes, this is on purpose kind sure. of way. Barbara Stanwyck, same kind of thing in, in the speech, but not as much to me. Edward G. Robinson is just like, he is selling every single thing. Like, no point does any of his work take me out of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like watching really good Shakespeare actors where you're like, I don't mm. understand any of these words, but I 100% know what you're saying. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Him and his little man. <laughs> his little man. And he's got this like, like Danny DeVito kind of goblin-y thing to him. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's very enjoyable to watch. He never has a suit jacket on and his sleeves are rolled up and you can tell he's just like eating a cigar. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this like, I, if you haven't seen Double Indemnity, this is a real like, I know I initially watched it because like, I want to eat my cinematic vegetables. I'm going to step out and watch the yes. movie everybody loves. And it turns out it's a good movie. So it's really you, good. Yeah, yeah. Do yourself a favor and watch it. But it's, it, you can't overstate how important it is to cinema at large. It's one of these things, it's so big a thing, it's hard to talk about, you know? Kind of. I mean, you. it is just kind of talking about noir as a genre where it's like, oh, this is where literally everything came from. Yeah. And it, it's, it's one of those things where now, having grown up with the second and third generations of movies made based on this movie, mm. you go back and you're like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> like, none of the, none of the style or the plot or mm. or characterizations are new or exciting but they're so 
crisp and like well-defined and obvious in that way where you just don't even have to like think about it anymore yeah. you can just be immersed in it you know what i mean like i feel like we've all had the experience where it is like oh i want to see what started this genre sure. this fad whatever and you go back and watch it, you're like oh it's fine i guess but I think this is one of the cases where you go back and watch it. And like, even if you know every twist and everything like that, you're just like, yeah, that rules. Still a great movie. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Yeah, I uh, like that a lot. So like, it follows great crime thriller structure. And I love it when it's this way around. Like, I feel like the two types that I'm used to seeing are like uh, a heist movie where like the final act is about the heist. Sure. But this is a real like first act is everybody's meeting, shaking hands, falling in lust with each other and... And then the second act is the crime, and the third is the fallout. That fallout yeah. act is like, ah, oh, yeah, that's good stuff. I feel like that's the big thing with this movie is that all of these things were already happening, but it's the first movie that does them all simultaneously and does them all well. Oh, could be, yeah. Um, well, clearly this was a, you know, if it's based on something that was, like, came out 10 years before, it's yeah. clearly been around for a while, and it's working off those tropes that people know and love. And Yeah, and I mean... Uh, this is becoming this is such a refrain on the podcast now I'm realizing more and more what my feeling of coming to these foundational bits are when they're so far in the past that there's so much contemporary stuff that we don't really take into account where like contemporary for the time yeah yeah where there's like uh insurance fraud this was like the number one crime occurring in america was it something like that yeah like oh, one of the leading causes of death was somebody killing somebody to get their life insurance like right. that was the only way you could reasonably be expected to make money yeah. in america a violent time. death i should say a violent oh i see okay. yeah so this is like <laughs> depression era stuff of like okay we'll just keep killing people and i mean take what, insurance classes. what else are you supposed to do yeah yeah so this is this whole thing is based on a real story, which is, should not be that surprising once you know the history of, of 20s and onward insurance fraud, mm -hmm. life insurance fraud specifically. Uh, so the real event is the 1927 murder perpetrated by a married Queens couple. Uh, there's a New York woman and killing her, her, her husband along with the lover is there as the accessory. So okay. the exact triangle we've got here. Sure. In that crime, Ruth Snyder persuaded her boyfriend... Is it Judd or James Gray? Mr. Gray. Yeah. Uh, starts with a G. Uh, J. Uh, to kill her husband, Albert, after taking out a huge big insurance policy on him with a double indemnity clause. And that double indemnity clause was if it's a violent murder. You are yes. asking for it. <laughs> if you he are dies, begging for your clients to be murdered. If he dies due to a violent crime, was basically... Like, you, the beneficiary oh. gets twice the money. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah, sure, okay. It Got was, uh, the insurance was forged, <laughs> and the guy uh. who forged it was an insurance worker. A fourth party, even. It's not in his three, yeah. okay. But he was quickly fired and arrest, arrested for general forgeries yeah because he was doing a lot of it and this is what the insurance agents would do would be forge an insurance thing sell it to somebody and then wash their hands oh in it. okay um <laughs> was this in conjunction with like the police had to hit certain arrest quotas like hey would you mind basically entrapping people well, <laughs> that does feel like okay we'll build our own little sub-economy over here yeah yeah right. <laughs> so the husband albert there's a lot of like the reasons that Ruth wanted the husband dead. It's like, you know, there's emotional abuse in there. There's, I want money and we're poor. There's, I yeah, just... Yeah, I'm alive in the 20s. Yeah. Yep. That's the number one cause of It's a real big one. Uh, but the major thing that she talked about was that Albert, the husband, was obsessed with Jesse Guichard, who was his 
former fiance who had died prematurely. Oh. Uh, he like hung her picture up all over their apartment, oh, talked boy. about how she was like the best woman he'd ever met. He named his boat after her. <laughs> like, you know, normal stuff. You know, as you do. Uh, so oh, they yeah. take out this life insurance uh, policy, and Gray testified later that Ruth made seven different murder attempts, which oh. feels real <laughs> Mr. Magooey of like, come on, hu- Albert, husband. How do you not? Yeah. <laughs> There's a pattern emerging. Uh, <laughs> what, 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 did she try like a different method every time, or she was just repeatedly trying the thing that doesn't work? Or, I, like... I couldn't find anything, like very scant research here, okay. but I couldn't find anything written down other than gray saying that right um <laughs> so eventually they're like okay fuck this they the wife and lover garrot him Oof. and stage it as a burglary gone wrong kind mm, of sure uh, which also was not uncommon for the time so very there you much go. different kind of insurance fraud yeah uh the problem with this plan was they didn't remove anything from the house so i mean the uh. police are like well, what the fuck did they take? You don't have anything. <laughs> it went so wrong that they didn't even burgle. <laughs> yeah. They, like, moved uh-huh. some stuff, like, hit a few things in the basement, and the police are like, is this what you said they stole? <laughs> uh-huh. um, but the thing that tipped the police off, this is so funny, people are so bad at crime. Police found a ton of writing from Albert to J.G., the letters that he was keeping from his dead fiance because he loved his dead fiance. Oh, okay. And the police bring it to Ruth and like, hey, can you tell me anything about these letters? And she basically went, I don't know what James Gray has to do with this. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so funny. I wish they'd give that in the movie. <laughs> no, James Gray isn't part of this. Don't ask him. What are you talking about? <laughs> and the follow-up question is, who's James Gray? That's when you just, like, get up and walk away, right? You just, you're, you're toast. And they're pretty much caught immediately, and both tried and executed. Oh. There is a very famous picture of her mid-death electrocution <gasps> chair. No! It ha- yeah, like, it, it was, like, a crazy famous collector's piece oh from 1927. God. Yeah, it we is. We are so gross. Yeah. Okay. Life is cheap. <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> But not if you want this fucking print of a horrible picture. Yeah. So James Kane at the time was a journalist. He was just covering court cases and mm. he was like, this is a crazy story. I'm yeah. going to write a story about it. <laughs> I see. And okay. so he writes Double Indemnity. That's like, it was like an eight uh, issue serialized big noir thing. And like, you could get away with way more in pulp than you could in, in movie movies. So mm. like... A oh, lot. like like decency wise. Yes, I you see. could kind of do whatever you wanted in print, uh, <laughs> and it's only when it gets to movie time that the Hayes Code comes in. Right. Yeah. The moving pictures are the problem. But James Kane says he likes uh, he likes the movie version more than his story, and oh. virtually everyone agrees. <laughs> That's got to feel a little bad, but it's yeah. good for him. For <laughs> we're but talking like, about him, aren't we? Yeah, we very much are. He's still alive in our hearts. Uh, oh, oh, good. <laughs> So this is true crime. Yeah, pretty much. Functionally. Functionally. Like you're not I guess I guess you're not talking about the real person with their names and being like, this happened to this specific person. But, but so much stuff in here is just like, yeah, that happened, yeah, that happened, yeah, that happened. Yeah. Like it's there were people whose entire livelihood and they were very rich were just running these schemes and all uh-huh. that. So like big like torn from the headlines kind of, right. kind of newspaper stuff. Yeah. salacious yeah okay so i just wanted to mention that up top because i feel like that's great i had no idea yeah you go into this thinking it's this like really stylized really like 
intensely oh the point is that it like broke barriers in yeah. filmmaking and like co like you know distilled this style and like you said like you know movie homework yeah. it's it's the touchstone for a lot of stylistic stuff <laughs> but it would be just like taking people have been reading about these in papers for like 20 years and yeah. somebody finally makes a movie about it is kind of what what winds up happening i yeah. wonder if people whose livelihoods were that of like running these insurance scams were like fuck now we have to find a different thing no i like to think that they'd be like oh finally representation <laughs> that's it it'll throw cops off the scent they'll all check out like these types of murder and then we can get away with our other types of murder we gotta stop seeing baby so much yes <laughs> apparently that's the giveaway of a yeah oh it's so funny okay yeah all right so Back to the movie, though. I want to actually talk about the movie. Sure, I kinda, I thought it was very interesting when I dive right into it. No, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> but the, yeah, so our crime friends we've got here. I, I'm i curious of your take on this. Like, obviously this starts out as Fred McMurray's like, hey, Barbara Stanwyck is hot. I'm realizing this. I am going yep. for it. Um, <laughs> I feel like she, like, do you agree with this? That she is just using him and she has no interest in him whatsoever. Oh, no? yeah, 100%. Oh, like, he's yeah, okay. the mark of this movie yes. to me. Like, he's cool. she saw him and in 10 seconds she's got him dead to rights <laughs> of, like, this idiot is going to be so easy to work with. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Okay, yes, cool. yeah, that's what I think. Do you not think that? Well, I feel like the first time around I was... T- <laughs> I'm a very uh, honest person. Young boy. I, I watched this and was like, oh, they're in love. Like, Oh, sweetie. <laughs> or at least they're romantic. Like a Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing. Hey, like, We're sure. going out on this together. Fuck the system. We're going to. Sure. Yeah. But it is on this rewatch. I do feel like it's so clear. There's a moment when after they have clearly had sex in the censorship way of like, we fade to black and then we come up and they're in the same room and his jacket's off and he's right, smoking yeah. a cigarette. Like, yeah, they fuck. <laughs> yes. Um She's like, so you'll do it? And he's like, yeah, baby. And she like circles around so that she's not in view of him. And the look on her face, I'm just like, fucking got him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. This, this like, his whole attitude to me, at least, is, wow, this stripper really likes me. Oh, fuck, that's just... Do you know what I mean? He's just like so dumb and so convinced. Because there he's supposed to, he has to be a charming person. Like, he obviously is in the context of this movie. Yeah. He's a salesman. He's got to be that way. He's the best salesman at the firm. So yeah. yeah, he's good at talking to people. Yeah. yeah. So he's used to charming people. And I think that he honestly does think, wow, it worked on her instead of like, this is a sociopath. She has absolutely no regard for you other than what you can do for her. Yeah. Whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my take on it. Because I had forgotten about the detail that we find out late in the movie where she killed the original wife and, like, stepped into her place. Like, this in is, theory, yes. But the way that... This is where the contemporary stuff comes in. Because it's described as, like, the wife was sick and when the daughter comes into the room, she sees that, like... The window is open, all the covers are off, and right. Barbara Stanwyck was the nurse that was supposed to be taking care of him, like, clearly yes. set this up. That was, like, 
a huge way that people collected on insurance scams. Yeah, was yeah. was like freezing them to death in their tenements or whatever yeah. because there was no central heating. There was yeah, that was a huge thing of like what's the Mike Malloy thing where they mm. they douse him like they toss him in the river and then leave him on a park bench to freeze to collect the insurance money. And yeah, Mike Malloy is extraordinary in that he could not be killed, <laughs> but that that should have worked. Like that worked all the time. Yeah, like hypothermia and pneumonia yeah. to avoid the violent crime rap that you would get from. Yeah. Somebody up. Like anybody watching this at the time would have been like, "Oh, I gotcha. she killed her." I gotcha. It's so clear to somebody uh, watching, okay. especially because this is a movie that takes place in 1938 when this was especially rampant. Yeah, We're not out of that period for yeah. sure. Yeah. So like, yeah, okay, that's that's fair. I took it as like that kind of gray area noir thing where the way Fred McMurray is hearing about this is mm. from um, the husband's daughter. Right. Like the Barbara Steinock is the stepmother to this kid now. <laughs> and the kid is like, yeah, the last time I saw my mom alive, like she was sick. And, you know, this woman was her nurse. And I wandered in and she had this like crazy look on her face and the window was open. And I was like, okay, like you were probably 10 at the time-ish. This could just be emotions. It could be actually what happened. Mm. But all you actually have to go on for evidence is... I didn't like the look on her face, but, the, but with that context, that is like, yeah, we yeah. all know. But the look on the face, I'm really glad you brought that up because of how the husband is killed in this. He gets strangled to death in the car by Fred McMurray, and while yeah. that's going on off screen, we just have Barbara Stanwyck's face looking crazy. Yeah, it's an upsetting yeah. facial expression. Yeah. This is where, like, <laughs> I gotta say this up the front, production code... Hayes code is bad. I do not like it. Yeah. However, it puts so many constraints on this movie that they had to be so creative. <laughs> yes, necessity, etc. And I don't know, it was either in the shooting script or when they actually shot it, where Fred McMurray is strangling him to death on screen. Mm -hmm. And the censors were like, no, you can't do that. Oh, but he dies in the end. You'd think they'd be okay with, like, showing a murder where the murderer then dies. No, it's you can't show, like, that gratuitous amount of violence. Oh, you can't show violence. Got it, got it. No, you can show violence. It just can't be gratuitous. Sure. And that was considered gratuitous. Okay. So they settled on this version, which I think is so much more effective it's than... It's so creepy. Yeah. yeah. Her... Oh, it is chilling. She's... Like, Barbara Stanwyck went on after this to become, like, the queen of noir movies, and it's pretty obvious why. Yeah. Like, <laughs> goddamn, it is chilling. She's extremely good in this. And I mean, it does, like you said, it's... <laughs> the, you know, the Hayes Code is bad, but the results are very good. Yeah, so <laughs> it's impossible thing. to say if the Hayes Code <laughs> is actually bad. No, it's actually bad. It's bad. But, <laughs> that being said... Yes, and I mean, it, it really, it goes on, and, like, you can hear the choking noises and the scuffling, like, the, the struggling. You can see his elbow coming into screen yeah. as he's struggling, and I wonder if that is a leftover of, you know, we shot it with two we cameras to, or something, yeah. and this <laughs> is the one version we have that was a close-up on her face. Yeah, it's it's a nightmare. It's, it's quite something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Creepy. Creepy stuff. That's funny. I wanted to mention some of the music a little bit. It's by Miklos Rosa. Mm -hmm. The main theme, it's so weighty. Like, over the initial credits is so good. Yeah. Like, there's so many proto-noirs that come before this movie. Like, Maltese Falcon is a couple years before. Like, there's sure. so many, so many European movies that are very similar. And I don't know if any of them have this level of destiny is fucking you, fate is fucking you, kind of harsh, like, no matter what you do, you're caught up in your own web of lies. You are your agent of your own destruction. 
type of thing, and I think that the music expresses this so good, this, like, weighty, stompy, like... It's very bombastic in that way, very overwhelming, yeah. Yeah. The main reason I wanted to mention it, though, you get it in the opening credits, it's good. The next time it comes back is right after Neff says, okay, we'll kill him. Like, uh-huh. that's and it's just like a, a whisper of it and it eventually grows more and more as things come on I just love how just so simple but so effective love that shit from that point onward you are totally fucked yeah what yeah. do you make of the so the opening credits are just the outline like the silhouette the silhouette yeah. of a man on crutches mm-hmm. like slowly coming closer and closer to the screen what do you what do you make of that I I obvi- there's the obvious real text of we got a guy in crutches that we'll see at the end of the second act, obviously. That's right. It. But it's I th- the husband that they kill. Yeah. Is it, though? I don't know if it's him or Fred McMurray. Oh, I see. Sure. Okay. But it, I think that's the, like, it's the same inevitability kind of thing. It's coming toward you. Mm. Like, you okay. you are in its path. Like, it, it, it's locking its sights onto you. I am really big into the idea in this movie of Barbara, St- Barbara Stanwyck being the spider, like, yes. puppeteering all her little puppets. Yeah. Um... Spider puppet. Yeah, Barbara Stanwyck with all of her little little pieces she's moving forward. And this yes. feels like the, like, oh, you are in her path, kind of. Mm, okay. You're going to get swept up by this, this uh, Combined, bewigged woman. Yeah, bewigged. Combined with the music, I think you're you're right about that. Yeah. Okay, I was just curious. Because when it, when it opens, uh, I think of it as the husband rather than as oh, yeah? Neff. Um, but that makes more sense of, like, Neff is just trudging towards well it's you know edgar g robinson's uh monologue that he has about the trolley when you do a crime with someone you get on that trolley and you don't stop until you hit the graveyard yeah <laughs> you're just like yep he's just he knows he can't move he just has to keep trudging forward he's on the path yeah yeah, yeah. he's already on the path before the movie starts he's already on the path yeah which leads in perfectly to like him being mortally wounded and going back to the office yes. like i love that that's yeah. a good framing device to mm-hmm. me that flashback stuff. That's another thing, like, I, neither of us are experts, but we've watched a good amount of pre-this-movie noir-ish things, and, like, sure. the entire movie in a flashback, I don't think has really, the problem is, like, it hasn't been done in a popular way, and this is the first right. major popular thing where it comes in. Brief I want encounter, maybe, but, like, that was yeah. after, so... Yeah. yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Like, I just want to talk about, like, the noir trappings of all this stuff. Oh, sure, go stuff. for it. The reason I keep saying this is considered the definitive noir is because it's bringing all the loose threads together under one movie. One sure. wildly successful movie is obviously the sure. thing that makes it lasting. But all these disparate elements already existed in so many other movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, the uh, the argument is like, oh, Maltese Falcon is the one that starts the thing. But like, it, that starts hard-boiled detective stuff, not noir. Those are... Technically um, not the same thing. Sure, sure. And it's the best kind of exception is a technical exception. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of European movies that look exactly the same way, and it's the German expressionism movement yeah, coming in. Yeah, sure. So, like, all the... I want to hear from you now, Aaron. I, like, I'm trying to think of noir tropes. You've got flashback, voiceover, the, like, overriding cynicism, cynicism towards Bleakness. systems. Bleakness. Yes. Femme fatales. The melodramatic visuals and, like, language going into it. The almost, like, very ham-fisted use of lighting, where it's like, is the person's face in shadow? They're thinking about crimes. I (laughs) love that you said that, because I read what I'm about to say a few times, and I was like, okay, I think I'm absorbing this. But this is considered to be one of the first movies 
that it's not just a stylistic choice when it does that. It is uh, that the lighting is reflective of the character's internal journey. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yes. That that totally. like, it's really bizarre to think of that not really existing because that's just like a part of what movies look like now. Yeah. That like this is considered by many to be the first major example of it, mm. and that's not right. There are others, but it's the first. <laughs> it's mainstream. a very like Hollywood centric kind of a an approach, but yes. Okay. Well, I mean that's that's kind of. Not even the German expressionism stuff, not being an expert, but it doesn't even really do it there where it's like, it is a stylistic choice, right? Mm -hmm. In German expressionism, it's meant to just look and evoke like a feeling rather than actually represent a a concrete character choice or a a plot direction or something like that. At best, I feel like that German expressionism stuff is communicating theme or like sure. general overarching stuff not in this moment this person feels like right, this right, and it's yeah. reflected by and like Barbara Stanwyck said that like the main reason that she was good in this movie was she's like oh the lighting how everything set up I wasn't acting it was just this is what a person <laughs> in the setting is like yes right <laughs> which is like ooh neat the the thing i always think about is the it strikes me every time i watch it where they're sort of, they've met up after the crime and he's realized, like, this mm. woman is out of control. Like, things are, <laughs> this is not going to end well. I have to go back and, like, confront her about it. They're in such a dark room and, like, it's it's almost impossible to see either of their faces at any time. And it's just, like, they're just sinking into this moray of, like, they're both fucked. Yeah. And, and like, she's straight up evil and he's <laughs> totally boned. Yeah. Like, it's it's very distinctive and it's unusual like it's uh, you wouldn't not see the main the lead's face for that long if it didn't represent something uh, yeah again another huge aspect of it like most movies weren't this dark at yeah. the time because it <laughs> literally just yeah it made people think oh the person making this movie fucked up oh did it really <laughs> like no like this was done in i think so effectively that people sure. didn't think it but like in other movies cases if you saw this right you'd be like oh this person is bad at making movies <laughs> i want to talk about the cinematographer who's john sites Oh, like, yeah, sure. Like that, his name, last name is Seitz. That's good. <laughs> oh, is it spelled that way? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, so close. There was a guy recently, we watched something where, like, the the costume guy is, like, John Dresses or something, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. But he, this is a guy that, like, he is already, before he comes to Billy Wilder, he's known as a guy that likes to experiment on set and... Cool. He liked to fail. He liked to try things just to see if they'd work. And if they failed, he'd be like, okay, whatever. And he wouldn't invest in it. But he wa- he loved shooting in the dark. Okay. And Billy Wilder was like, darker, darker, more. <laughs> yes, it's great. Um, the thing that I was really interested to learn going through, like, contemporary reviews and people talking about the movie at the time, this lighting, the cinematography generally, is considered terrifically realistic. Which feels wild, because I feel like we watch this like, oh, this is the most constructed, artificial-looking thing in the world. But it is considered incredibly grounded and realistic at the time, because I guess what you're seeing before is just like, oh, you're in a room. It's the most, it's as brightly lit as the sun. Floodlights, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you can see everything. Right. But the idea of like, oh, you can see the Venetian blind shadows, like all that stuff is like, wow, you are actually in a setting. Well, there is that, you know, he wanders in, I think, in that same scene, and it's like, wow, the cigar smoke from, from like, last Saturday night, you know, mm-hmm. it's he goes on Sunday morning, is still hanging in the room. And, I mean, it, it could be a little bit that thing of, like, well, we paid a set dresser. We better fucking see every little knickknack on every single dresser. <laughs> like, 
Not I'm, this time. That cigar smoke was like this. There's so many like in sights, inventions on here. Like the Venetian blind stuff is a big one. Mm. But the dust in the air, they did that by he like scattered aluminum particles oh, in the no. air. Okay. Yeah. So just speeding up the death of our stars, but uh-huh. it evokes this like dusty look that didn't exist really oh, before. Okay. At least not on purpose or to this calculated right. degree. Right. Yeah, you can like you can feel the oppressive nature of that room. Yeah, you yeah. can you can tell that like there's a smell in the room of like old smoke and, and yeah. dust. Yeah. So like just, there's so many technical aspects that I don't even know how to get into so much, but I just I love the the aim that Wilder and Sights had in this was that like okay, color movies are coming out. We have to make black and white a feature rather mm. than the default. Sure. So they knew that they had to do like a new thing and so everything that every scene that's happening they're like okay and it, it, there has to be something new here and new here and highlight it don't yeah. just let it go by play to its advantages and that's why you have all this dark stuff that you can't really it looks kind of not good in technicolor mm, sure i would not yeah. yeah oh is this has this been like translated into color the way people are like we colorized this old movie doesn't it look better there are these stills like that jaundiced? have been okay. yeah i'm sure there have Ooh. yeah no. I don't know. I don't care what you do with your free time, but don't pretend it looks better. <laughs> and if you do, keep it to yourself. Yeah. Feel the shame that you should feel. <laughs> you should feel bad. And okay. like Aaron and I talk about this all the time, but like, what's the definition of noir? Is such a like, <laughs> is this a noir? Like everything could in the same way everything's noir a western. Is in your heart. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> everything is noir. But I liked Billy Wilder has a great uh Ooh, all right. Yeah. Billy Wilder's definition of noir is if the main character has this thought process, he's just like, it's just the Neff quote. I did it for the money. I did it for the woman. I didn't get the money and I didn't get the woman. That's noir to him. (laughs) That's noir, baby. Baby. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Billy. All right. Well, I think that's as... That encompasses all the things that I ask myself if I'm like, Mm. is this noir? Where... You know, did did we get anywhere? Did mm. anyone achieve anything that was good or useful <laughs> or helpful? If no, then it's probably a noir or like that contributes. You know? Yeah, that's like the, one of the checkbox items. F- like that floundering kind of within the system. Like yeah, is a big thing. all this effort expended and nothing. It it actually just sank you farther into the quicksand. And you know? I think this is why this one becomes the the noir movie that then everybody obviously goes on to imitate forever and ever. Yep. Is that this is the first, at least mainstream, I'm sure there are other examples, big asterisk always, but this is the first movie most people were seeing where the main characters, the protagonists, are criminals. Do you think? Yes, that's like a a big, like anything that was considered noir before this is a detective who might be morally gray, but there's nobody that is purely a bad person as the protagonist, like thanks to the Hayes Code. Like you can go back to some pre-code stuff to be like, oh, this piece of shit's like having a, (laughs) well, yes, running an adultery on his ladies. But in the end, everybody's like, ha ha, that was fun. Like it's, nobody gets punished so severely. Right. Which leads me into the original ending of this movie. Ooh, I love a good original ending. So the the original ending in James Cain's novella is insane. Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray are <laughs> deported oh. for their crimes. And as they're deported to Mexico, and as they're leaving on their boat, they look in each other's eyes and jump in the ocean and get eaten by sharks. What the fuck? 
Double suicide, baby. By shark. By shark. Uh-huh. This was adapted later as the movie we now know as Jaws. No, just kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a joke. It's not real. Jaws 4 is the real movie. <laughs> this time, he's a detective. Um... Huh. The original ending that they did shoot and still exists without the audio, I think. So it's okay. not like pristine. Complete. You can't actually add it on to anything. Uh, the epilogue, like the, the the final scene that we have in this this movie of Edward G. Robinson writing the, lighting the cigarette for Neff. It's a little bit different, but that ultimately plays out. And then Neff is arrested and he goes to jail. Sure. And he is executed in a public execution in a gas chamber. Uh-huh. And that's the ending. Okay. <laughs> It's just like, I mean, that was that was the thing that they were they bring it up a lot during yeah. the movie of like I'm mostly Barbara Stanwyck does like I'm not getting caught I'm not going I'm not going to be executed for yeah. this I don't deserve to be debatable <laughs> but it comes up a lot I'm yeah. not surprised that they filmed that it was a thing that the Hays Code people were like this is gratuitous cut oh. it out keep me on my toes yeah. I would have thought they'd be fine punishing a murderer but, okay yeah. But within, like, it would be okay to punish him, I think, if it was kind of like, and there's the gas thing, and he walks in, and, like, the door closes behind him. Right. Credits. Even that that would be dark, but allowable. But, like, literally they shot it as, like, it's... It looks like a fucking car, uh, used car dealership. dealership display of windows and like journal. Like, well, there is you, of, you could go, you could yeah. see the like have an audience. And Billy Wilder was like, "What? This is just America. You don't want to put this on screen? What the fuck is wrong with you?" Yeah, that's that's the line in the sand. Is like, but we can't show us yeah. actually executing. people. And that showed him getting gassed, falling to the floor and dying. And like Edward G. Robinson turns to camera and is like, "We tampered in God's domain or whatever." <laughs> the real monster was man. Yeah. Was insurance fraud. <laughs> wow. But dark. So dark. And y'all know me. I prefer the darker endings typically. But I love the ending that we have in this for real. Of like, I uh, there's so much like scholarship about this movie. Obviously, sure. And so much as does the thing of like, well, the real love story because clearly Barbara Stanwyck and and Neff are not in love. She's just using him, and she's a serial killer. The real love story is this like camaraderie between these two dudes. The bromance, yes. Yes. So like then it ends with, uh, finally Robinson lighting the cigarette for the first time for Neff is such a like. A little, like, uh, storybook close <laughs> combined with you'll never take me alive kind of kind of thing. Because, like... The... He's bleeding out, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, he's not making it down the elevator, I mm. don't think. Okay. I wondered about that because it, it is sort of this... There's almost this resignation on Robinson's face of, like, I if I get him medical attention right now, mm. he could survive to be put on trial to be executed. Yeah. Do I want to do that? And and he's just like two rules of a guy. He has to do the rule, yep. which is send him to, to trial. Yep. So I yeah, I wasn't sure about that. But yeah, he he's probably bleeding. He's been bleeding out for like seven hours at <laughs> yeah. this point. I don't know. Well he talks into his fucking dictaphone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Goes goes back to the office to write a little short story before he dies. But it's the thing of he does it because he loves his buddy. Yeah, yeah. Like that's... I think that's that's probably the thing he feels the worst about, right? Like Barbara Stanwyck would have killed him in a second if it was mm. more convenient. So he's kind of already discarded her as like a okay, this was a this was not a relationship relationship worth preserving. Yeah. But he actively conspired to and felt a little smug about outsmarting. His buddy. Yeah, and he wanted to feel like it's the, like, haha, got you, like, but high stakes version. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that's that's interesting. I I think it's so easy. It's one of these funny heist movies where like, yes, technically the main character is the criminal, mm-hmm. but you're kind of on his side. And when the la- you know, the very last piece of the heist is about to go off and suddenly there's a complication, you, the audience are like, oh no, I hope they pull it off. You get caught up in that. And Edgar G. Robinson's, Edgar? Edward. Edward. Edward G. Robinson's character is like meant to be the the antagonist to the successful yeah. execution of the heist. But this is like that first time that we're seeing the reversal where the protagonist is the antagonist and the antagonist yeah. the protagonist according to regular movie rules. So yeah. Yeah, yeah that's fair. That's just funny. I, I, I had not considered that because I got too swept up in like, he can never know. We have to outsmart <laughs> Robinson, you know. I like that. What is it, Barton Keys? That's his name? Yep. It's a great name. It is a great name. Yeah. His little vest. Fucking data nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Statistics. <laughs> Dork. So what do you think about, like, the femme fatale stuff? I, like, reading everywhere that Barbara Stanwyck is, like, she, she was the template. The blueprint, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that everybody is writing off of for decades to come for more people here. Sure. And, like, it's funny where you look at noirs that happen later that are just here is an evil person. Like, it's so clear. It honestly took me the second, like, at least the second time I saw this to put together, like, oh, she's bad. Like, (laughs) I was so gullibly, like, did not get it, kind of. Okay. Where, like, she... What do you think that she's dealing with here? Because, like, is it a a classic, I just want to feel something? Or is Mm. it, I want money? Or is it... Uh, I am a full-on psychopath and want people to die because I think it's funny. Like, honestly, if you're if you're talking about like the femme fatale as a character blank, yeah. like as a as a part of these movies, I think the point is that you don't know. Mm. You can oh. never know, and it's it's almost like force of nature e, where it's like you better not. You better fucking evacuate because there's no way you're coming out the other side of this, like with all your walls still intact. You know what I mean? Yeah, that because I like that as a as a cipher kind of thing of you will impose your own whatever your own fear is onto it. Right, but and that's that's the power of each like speaking specifically about femme fatal femme fatal characters is like in this case, I think that Phyllis specifically knows how she's perceived as this like mm. oh that woman's trouble that dame is trouble <laughs> you know and is already like three steps ahead of him figuring that out because <laughs> he's so proud of himself when he's like i figured out that she's gonna ask me to kill her husband yeah and that doesn't deter her for a second she's not bothered in the least yeah. that he's like absolutely not i would never she's like Okay, that was step one. <laughs> I have planned up till like step thirteen, you yeah. know. So I think it's that is part of the the danger of that character is you can project whatever you want onto there because mm. all of your own you're just working against yourself at that point, and that's what eventually gets him on board is he wants to be so smart and like outsmart his boss and mm. get into this with a woman that like oh I've found like a a lady and we're gonna do crimes together that very yeah. Bonnie and Clyde thing right of, like, yeah we're gonna tear this town apart or whatever because his motivations are so clear to me of this just like yeah I'm bored and I just want to fight this system that is strangling the life out of me feels like. It's there yeah. from the get-go. He he just wants to fuck around. That's he yeah. wants to break out. But I I reading all the stuff about how so many women love the noir genre because they were seeing these characters, the femme fatales, who were like, oh, you don't just gotta put up with men. 
you can... <laughs> I mean, there is that too, yeah, yes. <laughs> which works somewhat, but I, I, it's never felt like fully accurate to me where mm. it's like... Sure, yeah, I can absolutely see that. And then the, the guys watching this movie are like, she's scary. She's like a whole person. Yeah. Um, there is also that, yes. But it never felt that calculated to me. I do like that idea of like, we don't know. It's scary for some reason. We'll do our own specifics with it. And you f- interpret as you like. In yeah. terms of like the archetype, I think it is that you can project whatever you want onto it. And mm. that's that's often why, A, the, the schemes, their schemes work. Mm. is because they're just waiting for... If they can clock somebody accurately, like get get the sense of their mark, they know what's going to work on them. Yeah. And, you know, as not just the archetype, but each individual femme fatale has that element of like, man, she's smart. Like, look at her go, you know, <laughs> you're like a little proud of her. <laughs> yeah. You want it's, it's the classic like you're rooting for the person who's like going to kill your main character. And you're like, yeah. why am I doing this? <laughs> Is this OK? I'm going to do it. It's fine. Yeah. What do you think about Phyllis's motivations in this? Then, Do you have any any thoughts about where she's coming purely from? based on Stanwork's performance? Yeah, I that's... think she enjoys killing. I think she oh, likes nice. it and she's just a, a sociopath serial killer she likes being like a power broker for just like making things happen yeah i think she just likes to play god (laughs) she wants to decide who lives and who dies yep that's there's there's so much there's a glee in her her expression as this man is dying beside her like violently He's afraid. He's suddenly realizing what's happened. Yeah, she's so still. She it. doesn't fucking move. Yes, the, but yeah. just this like gleam in her eye starts. I I think she deeply enjoys it. Just recalling hearing people talk about how she acts like a predator in this movie, where yes. where it's all like big flustery energy performance until it comes to the really serious stuff, mm. and then she is sitting down. She is fucking locked onto you. She's not blinking. She yeah. is so still in that moment, and then once that thing is resolved, she's up and moving around again and all this like oh yeah she and she's staring right into the camera for those moments right yeah where it is really like nope stop stop looking at me please and you're kind of relieved when it cuts away so that she's not looking at you anymore makes me think of uh psycho the opening of like car drive away parts where uh janet lee's looking directly in camera and it's like delighting in her fooling of of people yeah yeah yeah, totally same kind of yeah. Energy. So yeah. at the time where, I mean, that, like you said, that's, that's kind of the only way that you could get money or yeah. like any sort of security at all was to do these schemes and like, you know, murder people, second degree or whatever <laughs> for their life insurance. And, and so she's just gotten onto that and been like, amazing. This makes me very powerful. I will keep doing it. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, that, oh, what the hell did we just watch? I think it was in Decision to Leave. Uh, killing is like smoking only the first time is difficult. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Just like, yeah, that that is very clear on her face, it feels like. Like, the insane look that she has on her face that Lola discovers her when the mother is dying. That feels like a real, like, oh, wow, this was so easy. This feels great. Yeah. 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 And I mean, that's the kind of the tipping point is that she, you know, you can piece it together. She murdered the mother to marry the husband who was rich at the time. But yeah. now the husband has kind of fallen on hard times and like it's not going super well. His investments are, are not a, doing as strong. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, all right, great. Let, this worked great last time. Let's try it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it is very much, it's only difficult the first time. <laughs> yeah. Good so shit. creepy. <laughs> yeah, the predator thing, very like, 
she's great at acting for in front of her mark and then it's, yeah yes once he's distracted she can go back to just being a little spider about it <laughs> in her dark little home <laughs> so yes for this character definitely she's to me she's a psychopath <laughs> Sweet. Pure serial killer. Yep, I like that. Representation matters. I'm coming around to that way of thinking. I know I wasn't there at first, mm. but definitely. To me, that's that's the whole, that's their whole relationship, is she's manipulating him 100% of the time. There's yeah. never a time when like, she's relating to him genuinely. I think the, the closest you could get is maybe when they have a bit of panic about, like, oh, no, we won't be, he's not going to take the train, and, like, we don't know if we can go yeah, ahead maybe. with the scheme. Like may, yeah. that's maybe the closest she gets to actually but that's having selfish, right? That's yes. my plan isn't going to work. Yeah. It's, yeah. she doesn't give a shit about Neff, obviously, yeah. but it is fun. Like something might bad might happen to her for the first time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. A consequence might befall her. <laughs> like if, if it had, if she could have set it up so that Neff took a hundred percent of the fall, there's no question she would have done that. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, this was, like, a obviously a landmark movie for so many reasons, and one of the main reasons is getting around the production code, putting out this morally distasteful, maybe you'd call it, <laughs> movie for the time. Sure. Um, so I just wanted to outline some of the arguments that people working on the movie had against it. <laughs> yeah, all right, yes, let's hear it. So one of the Wilder's usual writing partner was Charles Brackett. Right. And they were going to work <gasps> oh, shit, on... Oh, shit, wait. He's not working on this, yeah. Related to Lee Brackett? Oh, I don't actually know. That's a good oh. question. Okay. Sorry. But yes. Where's Charlie? Mm. Uh, he started work on it. He started pre-production, I think, on it. And he got, like, into the scripting and he basically went, like, ooh, yucky. And, like... Ooh, absolutely not. This is too icky. I don't want to do it. And just, like, quit. <laughs> <laughs> Which okay. is so funny considering that, like, Charles Brackett helped write, like, Sunset Boulevard. And yeah, yeah. Like, it's based on a real thing. Does that make you feel better or worse? <laughs> Probably or... <laughs> worse. Um, but, like, the one of the reasons that they had to have a writing partner for Billy Wilder is, like, his first language is not English. He didn't know oh, right, what right. would sound natural. He needed somebody to, like, come in and help out with English-speaking, like... Idioms and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and right, so right, they got right. Raymond Chandler. So, like, that's... All uh, this is one of those movies that there's all these issues with it that make it such a stronger movie because of it. Yeah. <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck didn't want to do it. I got a big quote from her here. Ooh. Quote: I said, "I love the script and I love you to Billy Wilder, but I am a little afraid after all these years of playing heroines to go into an all out and out killer." And Mr. Wilder, <laughs> rightly so, looked at me and said, "Well, are you an actress or a mouse?" Oh, girl! <laughs> and I said, "Well, I hope I'm an actress." And he said, "Then do the part." And I did, and I'm very grateful. <laughs> An actress or a mouse. Burn! And I really love, he could not find anybody to play the Walter Neff part. It's a very specific energy. Yeah. Right? Uh, he described the moral cowardice of actors backing out or studios <laughs> not wanting to tarnish the images of their big stars. Yeah. The big thing. He, quote, scraped the bottom of the barrel and tried to get George Raft to do it. <laughs> I'm assuming he's saying this while George is sitting beside him. Or yeah, something. he hated that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But he knew he'd bank on him a little bit, and George Raft wouldn't do it. Okay. Uh, so he eventually went to Fred McMurray as, like, the only person he could convince to do it. Uh, he lost eight different leading men that had signed on and then read the script and were like, no! <laughs> <laughs> and quit. For all the reasons Read it of, like, first, guys. I don't know. It's going to make me look bad was a big part of it, too. Yeah. Um, I, I I adore this this completely bonkers time in, in Hollywood where the 
public and the screen personas were so not different. Like yeah. the the off screen person was who you had to sell as the movie person. Yeah. And so it was just like, well, if they play a bad guy, far from being like a sign that they're a good actor, it means they're a bad person. Because who else could act like that, they Aaron? Have the smallest brains of any species on the planet. You say it like it's an old thing. People still do it now. Oh no no no! I know, but it, at least it's more like. I don't know, like, there you can is, play yeah. a mass murderer and and still be like, wow, that guy's a great actor. No one mm. thinks that you're a mass murderer in real life automatically yeah, anymore. Yeah, maybe at worst, they're like, that guy's kind of creepy, and then you actually meet Mads Mikkelsen, and you're like, oh, yeah. he's funny. Uh, a a pitch-perfect <laughs> example, exactly. He just wants to play his video games. Uh, yes. So, yeah, he finally gets to Fred McMurray, who he, like stalked basically for a couple weeks to like coming up to him on the street like hey Fred it's good to see you again you want to sign on to be part of my movie Fred Fred where are you going Fred oh he sounds so annoying I uh, love it <laughs> Fred McMurray quote you're making the mistake of your life uh he kept describing how I'm not an actor I don't know how to act <laughs> I just like I do comedies. Yeah, I hang out with my buddies where they like give me a script and I say the line and the, you're asking me to do like drama and stuff. Uh, I love the description of like I'm not an actor. I'm a saxophone player and I can't do it. As though like <laughs> those aren't okay. The saxophone is too loud and just blocks out all other sound that could be. I acting. can only think about saxophone at all times. It's <laughs> really funny. I'm gonna start using that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, McMurray's was like up for contract renewal, so his studio was like, "Well, he wants to do this dirty little picture. We'll let him do it and see how much everybody hates him, and then he'll come crawling back." <laughs> oh <Oops>. boy, oopsie doopsie! <laughs> wow, because you said like it was it was wildly successful oh, in its huge. time, right? Yeah. Like just a fucking gangbusters. There's movie. a reason that like every movie for such a long time was just a ripoff of this movie. Nice. Yeah. You know what's t- really funny to me too is that. Fred McMurray is probably the weakest actor in this movie. Yeah, I think but so. in a way where like he's the least competent character, like he's the least clever character, yeah. so it kind of works for him, right? He's not good at putting on a front or like manipulating other people. And I think it's the perfect balance of he looks like a big masculine guy, like he's sure. got a big square big and face. And, yeah. and, uh but he because he doesn't know how to back that up with like masculine acting chops he is emasculated so easily constantly <laughs> which is like the through line of this and why so many actors didn't want to do the part oh sure was like oh you're gonna this look- woman's pushing you around exactly yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. so you fucking idiots <laughs> let her do it that's really funny and the last thing i wanted to bring on double indemnity here is a little segment i'm gonna call hooray for hollywood yeah <laughs> Because more and more, the more we do these, like, 40s and 50s movies on the pod, we come across the bizarre marketing ploys Mm. going into this stuff. Yes. And there is just a funny thing. Like, I just want to talk about the arguments on advertising that happen here. This department has never known what audiences want. (laughs) (laughs) This one's a little different, though, because... David Oselznik was running a marketing campaign at the time for his movie called Since You Said Goodbye. Okay. Selznick. We all hate Selznick. <laughs> um, his marketing, like, his tagline for it was, Since You Said Goodbye, the four most important words in movies since Gone with the Wind. His other huge movie. Uh-huh. That, yep. So he's double marketing himself. <laughs> So Wilder's a little shit, and he put out uh, an ad running concurrently and on, like, the opposite page of paper in the trades that you'd see both simultaneously. Sure. 
Double indemnity, the two most important words in movies since Broken Blossoms, which was a huge D.W. Griffith silent movie. Okay. Which, like, reinvented silent dramas. So it was much more of a, like, this movie will reinvent movies. Oh, sure, And less of a, like, here's another thing. Yeah. You remember I made this other movie? Pretty cool, huh? Okay. Uh, All right. (laughs) Selznick tried to sue for plagiarism and all of the... (laughs) But in Can the, you sue for plagiarism in marketing? You can. Okay. But then all of these other funny little marketing ploys having the same, like, the two most important words, the four most important right. words, started popping up and there were just too many to deal with. <laughs> but the nail in the coffin was Alfred Hitchcock put out an ad, a full paper page ad, yes. that said, the two most important words in movies today are none other than Billy Wilder. Nice. Nice. And Alfred Hitchcock fucking hates Selznick, yeah. too. Because he just came off of working on Rebecca, Rebecca, which he was just furious at Selznick for the which whole time. Which, again, yeah, Selznick <laughs> was like, sex it up a little, make it spicier, or whatever. And Hitchcock was like, have you seen a movie? What are you doing? That's great. Yeah. <laughs> the two bitchiest directors working in Hollywood. Hooray for Hollywood! <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Yes, please bring this segment back because it is a funny, stupid window into the past. They're all just petty that. bitches. It's great. I know. Just the absolute ego of it all. <laughs> great stuff. Thank you for that. No problem. Those are all my thoughts on Double Indemnity. I would love to hear your final takeaway for our big noir piece here i mean big noir piece is kind of the uh (laughs) the extent of it it's just such a like you said it just brings together all of these threads and and links them together in a way that like ah these were always meant to go together (laughs) um and watching it back is it all seems so obvious but so compelling yeah where you're like yeah there's nothing I know he's going to fuck it up and, and they're going to go down for this, but like still so, you still watch it with that same tension every time. Yeah, yeah that flashback structure that is so like, I think yeah. it eventually became a thing where people were like, that's bad writing if you do that, but only because it became so cliched. But here sure. it's so pure. Yeah, yeah, it's something the character would do. Like it, the, the reason he's doing it is because he's looking back on the mistakes he made and realizing I was never going to pull this off. Yeah. I have to like get this weight off my chest before I die. Yeah. So, fuck you, complainers. No, I really like it. And you? Pretty much the same. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love a foundational movie to see where all the threads come out of. I love that this created so many copycats and, like, a whole Society subgenre quality. of its own. Yeah. <laughs> described by, like, noir film when it was, like, finally classified as such. It was described as, like, the only organic American subgenre oh. because it's the only time that it just like took several pieces and didn't calculate a thing right um which i think is so cool and like the idea of this movie became so prevalent that uh kane tried to start he he made so many lawsuits over oh a wife and a new lover are trying to off a husband that plot idea was so new that Kane brought so many lawsuits to oh. to movies that he didn't he didn't win, but right. it was like it was a novel <laughs> he lost thing badly, but that like okay. didn't exist before. So he was like, "Oh, this is ripping off my story. This is ripping off my story." This is sure, my story. get that bag, girl. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So I just, I just, it is such a bizarre little flashpoint. Like the closest thing I can compare it to is spaghetti westerns, kind of. That is such a funny, like such an organic creation of this like new type of plot and yeah. of like theme yeah that's great so let's take these thoughts and uh double bill them then if you would be so good as to take us away on this yeah let's do it on this path i am gonna double bill this with another 
semi-foundational like movie, nowhere near as reinvent the type of cinematography you use, <laughs> but still a real, like, people have spent a lot of time kind of chasing this high, and this is such a distinctive sounding and looking and feeling mm. movie. Uh, and it's also kind of a crime thriller, hmm. and it's very dependent on, like, these almost archetypes now of, of people um, in movies. And it's also got just, like, a great character actor situation going where everyone, it could have tipped over into silliness, <laughs> but everyone is just really earnest about it, and so it's very good. Uh, I'm going to double bill this with the Coen's 1996 hit, Fargo. Yeah, nice. Yes. Great, yes. I love a, I love a double bill of a noir and a neo-noir. Yeah. It's good. Uh, so Fargo, because it is a movie that like a lot of people have tried to replicate, and it's just there's something about <laughs> the alchemy of that particular moment, those particular actors, the people working on it, and it, it, it uh, people are constantly taking the wrong lessons away from it and trying to recreate it, you know? Yes, they are. Um, oh my God, are they ever. Yes, yeah, they sure are. <laughs> But Fargo itself is kind of a an organic growth off of the roots of, of Double Indemnity, where yeah. it's like, you know, people are almost naturally evil. There's kind of this, this at best, there's one character who doesn't think so, yeah. but then is proven wrong. <laughs> like, you know, to me, uh, Marge and... Barton Keys are the same person yes. where they're like trying to investigate and they say out loud a lot of times like well it couldn't have been so and so because I know them and they're a good person or, or you know and then just the the whole universe turning directly to face them and going you fucking moron yeah, no the, one is good that the rules are so deeply entrenched that they can't break away from them yeah to, to accept they, the real reality yeah yeah and it makes them worse at their job to, <laughs> to have those preconceptions and, and things like that. So there's that same type of character where they're like, they're really good at their job, but the universe is too mean for them to actually win. Yeah, despite you know? being faced with, like, evil. Uh, Arguably, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> filing a bad insurance claim is not evil. But uh, <laughs> yeah, to their mind, evil stuff. But it's not nearly as deep as they think it is. That, like, the well of evil is so much deeper than they would have thought. Yeah, just yeah. very banality of evil kind of thing. Where it's like... It, it, one of the funny things about Double Indemnity is that they almost surely could have gotten away with a less... They had to go for the Double Indemnity Clause. Yeah, that they got They greedy. could have gotten... What is it? 50, 50 grand if they'd done a normal, like a, a statistically more likely murder. And Neff should have known that Barton Keyes would have gone, okay, yeah, that's a statistically likely way to die. There's nothing suspicious about this. Mm. He should have known. He knows that. <laughs> but he got greedy. He had to go for the 100 grand. And that's what tripped them up. Yeah. Is that's what Barton Keyes. I love saying his name now. <laughs> Fixates on is like, there's no way. There's no way this sequence of events happened statistically. Yeah. And. Yeah, that that greediness and that need to like you can't just leave it alone. You can't just and I feel like that's a big thing for the Coens too. Is like no one can ever just leave well enough alone in their movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, like William H Macy in yes. Fargo is exactly that yeah. same kind of like just overreaching a little too much, a little yeah. a little too sure of himself yeah. for yeah. 
uh, yeah. And then uh, you've got Steve Buscemi in Fargo, who I feel like is a noir character and has always been a noir character. Yes. <laughs> He's got that face. Going back to 30 Rock, where he plays a wonderful detective. Yeah. <laughs> or Private Eye. Yeah. Private Eye, yeah. Nice. So yeah, I'm, I'm pairing it with one of its bastard children. Nice. Fargo. Fantastic. Uh, and I'm going to call it... You can just go with bastard children. That's great. <laughs> It feels like I'll want to use bastard children in the future. I don't <laughs> yeah, wanna I don't wanna blow it right yeah. now, yeah. I wanna call it out of the past, but that feels like a, literally a movie Turner that movie. we already yeah. <laughs> a really good movie, but um I'll come back to it. Okay, that's fine. You look yeah, I don't don't get too hung up on it. <laughs> anyway, so that's fine. Uh and they, they do kind of have that same tone, I think if you watched Fargo and really liked it, you will enjoy Double Indemnity. Yeah. Lot. There's there's a glee to the to the scheming in it. Almost silly. Yeah. Could be silly in some parts, yeah. but never quite. Too yeah. tragic to be silly. Hmm. Fantastic. Well I'm okay. also going the bastard children route, but nice. in a very different way. Um so I talked about like the organic growth of the noir genre and it's all this very honest good. experimentation. Like there's all these little elements that are all coming together. Um based in how German expressionism looks. So like there's, okay, here's our like root that we're building off of. And then they build all this exciting crime drama. Um, and one of the biggest like exports for American cinema for quite a long time was like bringing noir out of America. Once it existed, having other, co- other countries pick up on mm. what that subgenre was. So you get like fantastic, like, I'm just going to list a bunch of stuff that I love. Like, The Samurai is great. This fantastic sure. Dianor. There's so many French noirs. Bob Le Flambeur is fantastic. That are trying to, like, just... They're not aping double indemnity by any means. But they're just like, oh, that little flourish is neat. Let's try that kind of mm. thing. And start incorporating it into their own stuff. But the country... It's more just the studio that was like, oh, let's take American noir and just do that. But let's go fucking wild with it. <laughs> is uh, a studio in Japan called Nikatsu who made so many... Mm really cheap, trashy, pulpy noirs. Okay. So I'm putting Double Indemnity, my artistic, like, big foundational piece here. Sure. And I'm gonna... I've mentioned Tokyo Drifter on the podcast before. I would be cheating to go to that route again. So I'm gonna mention an even smaller one that I feel is a little bit closer, uh, which is a little something called A Cult Is My Passport from oh, 1967. Yeah. Nice. Which is directed by Takashi Nomura. And it is... It is so gleefully fun. Uh, the like the yes, synopsis is. is a gang lord hires a hitman to take out a rival boss who got greedy. Like that one sentence synopsis is just like so many Nakatu noirs that they just like turned out like okay now it's like that now it's like that and you have the really hard and experimentation styles of theirs which is Saijin Suzuki who did Tokyo Drifter and Branded to Kill and they're yeah. like their art house experimentation styles of Saijin Suzuki is daring you to understand what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> like it is so oblique and opaque that it becomes like, okay, the movie's over. I guess something like, happened. If you're colorblind, you lose about 40% of the plot <laughs> in Saijin Suzuki yeah. movies. They're so, yeah, they're funny. Yeah. And I mean, I come down on both sides of Saijin Suzuki movies where like, there are some that I absolutely fucking love and some that are like, I hated watching this. I get why you made this. Yeah. Why would you make me watch it? But A Cult is My Passport is just a, like, let's have some goddamn fun. And it rides a line of experimentation while trying to remain super commercial. So it does all these weird things. Like, it it, it does eventually become down a, uh, become a burn it down for the sake of burning it down movie. Sure. Same kind of act structure as Double Indemnity has where you've got, like, 
First mm. act is putting stuff together. Second act is the big crime. Third act is the bizarre fallout, the where there's, like, the noose tightening kind of thing. Yeah. And it's shot so imaginatively for what is such benign material. It just, like, everything looks so fucking cool. It's almost like the palette is so bland that we had to spice it up with how it looks. And that's exactly what it was. Like, there's so many cool locations. It, the, the climax mm. takes place in this bizarre you feel like you're in limbo desert yeah it's it's so much of that my memory of that is like him kicking up dust and yeah. like the way that the figures look through the dust and yeah. stuff like that and it's got a like a soundtrack that feels like it's just a spaghetti western soundtrack yeah. <laughs> it is like the blaring trumpet like they're just throwing shit at the drawing board to figure it like well we did this last time so let's do something new and right. that feels almost like what the same core like, not idea of, but, like, the core ethos of we're just trying new stuff with Double Indemnity. Yeah. That I feel, like, rings true here of, like, okay, we gotta find creative solutions to these little, little limitations. And for Double Indemnity, it's the Hayes Code. For Occult is My Passport, it's, we've made so many of these. What are we gonna do this yeah, time? this is so played out. And budgetary concerns where it's just like, okay, well, we'll have him, like, dig a hole in the desert, and that's the big climax piece, and... It should be so boring, but it's so cool, <laughs> and you're rooting for these criminals. Yeah, I love yep. it. It's a good one. Yeah. So, nice. uh, yeah, just that blend of commercialism and experimentation is the big the big bit there. And yeah. 100%, they're just trying to... This is the third version of trying to rip off Double Indemnity, where it keeps getting retranslated, and this is what comes out. Right. Which, uh, there's your bastard children, yeah. Yes, they are just trying to be like, is it this combination of things that makes <laughs> us all the money? Is it? Yeah. So that nice. is what I'm going to double bill it with. And I don't got a name Dope. because I mean, insurance versus hitmen. <laughs> Hitman insurance. There you go. Yeah. Don't get too greedy. We're thinking about it. We're overthinking <laughs> We're it. We're overthinking it. Just, just let it be what it is. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> Great. Well, I think that we've finally have the premier scholarly discussion of double indemnity recorded it's about time somebody talked about yeah, this movie we're taking a stand and trying to get into a discussion about it <laughs> as always the legal advice in this podcast should be acted on yeah definitely this, this goes along with watching noirs and whatever i said earlier in the podcast that gets you the law degree does <laughs> a callback work when you don't remember the um, parts of it <laughs> does a law degree work when you can't remember what you said 20 minutes ago Let's we'll find yes. out. <laughs> Please uh, <laughs> write your reviews for our law course that we're offering through this <laughs> podcast for us on your podcast platform of choice. We would greatly appreciate it. Please follow us at GarkBidgePod on Twitter and Instagram. And please come on back next week to enjoy another noir in Noir Member Continuing and another pile of garbage. Thanks, baby. Every month, hundreds of claims come to this desk. Some of them are phonies, and I know which ones. How do I know? Because my little man tells me. What little man? <laughs>